This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. School of Humans. So I know we're on episode five and a lot of you guys are probably really upset because I haven't really talked about incest. I know you guys are frothing at the mouth. You're like, yes, please give us that famous filth of incest. But today, don't worry, we got it. We're going to do it. Um, But the thing about history, the thing about it is that what we would consider incest today wasn't considered incest back then. Like marrying your cousin, totally fine, totally whatever. What was considered incest, and I'm talking about the revolutionary, post-revolutionary period, is if you fucked one of your in-laws. That was incest. For example, if you were a lass and you fucked your sister's husband, that is incest. Or if you're a dude and you fucked your wife's dad. That's gay incest. Woo! But we're actually going to be talking about that first combination of incest. Uh, And today we're specifically talking about a woman named Anne Carey Randolph. And yes, she is the woman who I briefly mentioned in episode two. She eventually marries Governor Morris, but that's much later. And most of her life was marked by scandal accusations of incest, and also uh, accusations of killing her own baby. So I was like, seems filthy to me. So guys, welcome to American Filth. Thanks for listening. Cue the theme song. This is American Filth, and I'm your host, Gabby Watts. Every week, I tell you a filthy story from American history. Today's episode, Simply Bizarre.
All right, so as I was saying, it's the late 18th century post-American Revolution. We're in Virginia, land of Washington, of Jefferson, and we're specifically going to go visit the family of the Randolphs. The Randolphs were a super notable family. Their family tree included Thomas Jefferson and then later on Robert E. Lee. And they were one of the first families to colonize Virginia. They had oodles of land and enslaved hundreds of people over several different estates. Their main house that they lived in was Tuckahoe, which was built in 1710, about 10 miles outside of Richmond. But the thing is, after the war, the planter families in Virginia, their empires weren't as hot as they used to be. Their money had been dependent upon tobacco, but tobacco was being seen as a plant of the past, and Virginia planters were having to switch up their crops to, like, corn and wheat. There was also a wave of anti-slavery sentiment building, and a lot of combative party politics. So because of this variety of factors, the families stopped getting richer and richer for them. But simultaneously, it did seem like their kids were getting more entitled. The post-revolution generation was criticized for their quote-unquote deficient virtue. You know, they had lived a life of luxury and now they were entitled lazy wretches. Does that sound familiar? And the star of this episode, she's a member of that generation, Anne Carey Randolph, who everyone called Nancy. Obviously, Nancy, that derives from those names, Anne Carey, Nancy, duh. And, you know, as we know, much later, she becomes the wife of Governor Morris. And she actually meets Governor Morris for the first time when she was 13 and he was like 35. He came to her family's plantation, Tuckahoe. You know, he was down there managing her dad's tobacco contracts. But don't worry, he was not angling for a 13-year-old. He did not think she was hot back then. So, whew, at least that. Nancy was born in 1774, the eighth child of Thomas Mann Randolph Sr. and his first wife. And as she was growing up, Nancy was a verified hottie and sexy lady amongst the landed gentry of Virginia. Some said that she was even quite fetching. And one of her cutest characteristics was that she had a little upturned nose. She was high-spirited and flirtatious and had many suitors. But when Nancy was 15, her life got real topsy-turvy. In March 1789, her mom died. And then a year and a half later, in September 1790, her dad remarried. And he married a woman who was half of his age, 17-year-old Gabriella Harvey. Never trust a Gabriella. And back then, it was normal for an old widower to remarry and often remarry a much younger woman, but the Randolph kids weren't happy about it. And this marriage was specifically awkward for Nancy because in that year and a half before her dad remarried, Nancy had been running the house. Now Gabriella was taking control of everything, redecorating, and heavens painting the black walls downstairs white, uh, which honestly probably made the space feel a little bit larger. Black walls... The Randolphs were clearly goth. With that marriage, a lot of the Randolph kids refused to ever come back to Tuckahoe. And Nancy, what happened is a couple months into the marriage, she and Gabriella finally agreed on something that she had to get the heck out of there. This was all happening when she was about 18. So she was bopping around to her many siblings' houses and estates until she finally ended up staying with her older sister, Judith, who was married to one of their cousins, Richard Randolph. At this point, Judith and her sister seemed to have a fine enough relationship. 
but Nancy was the cool girl, the hot one everyone liked. While Judas was pious and solemn and no fun at all, she was a hypochondriac, depressed, and complained all the time, and sadly, I heavily relate to her. Her husband, Richard, on the other hand, was a listless youth and chronic underachiever who bounced around from university to university and never got a degree. He even said in school one time, I have been unfortunate in having passions which I have never resolved or governed to resist. After Richard's mom died, he stopped going to school and convinced his stepdaddy, George Tucker, who was a judge and law professor at the College of William and Mary, and the guy who basically raised him. Richard asked him to let him have access to his inheritance early. The inheritance was a plantation called Bizarre, and no one knows why it was called that because it really wasn't that bizarre of a place. It was pretty normal as far as estates go. But to prove to everyone that they were wrong about him, Richard was like, I'm going to become a big planter now, and to do that, I need a wife, so I'm gonna marry my cousin Judith, who is of similar age to me and available. So they wed when she was 17 and when he was 19 in December, 1789. When Nancy went to stay at Bazaar, one of Richard's brothers also lived there, Theodoric. And then Richard had another brother too named John. And apparently Nancy was looking so fine that both of those brothers had big crushes on her. John, Nancy turned down, probably because he wasn't really a looker and he was kind of annoying. He had gotten an illness at some point that had basically stopped him from having puberty. People described him as being very androgynous. He was unable to grow a beard. He was really thin. He had a really shrill voice. And some people speculated that he was also impotent. But Theodoric. The rumor was that he and Nancy were having a fling, some sort of courtship at Bazaar. But then other people, they would say that Nancy and her brother-in-law Richard, married to her sister Judith, they were the ones having an inappropriate relationship. Some said that they seemed a little too fond of each other. And you know, this flirting with the brother-in-law, that's really bad because that there, that's the incest. So Nancy is at Bazaar for a few months. But then Theodoric, he gets really sick and he dies in February, 1792. And then even worse than that, Nancy started, wait for it, oh, this is really terrible what happened to her. She started, oh, gaining weight. What does it mean? I think it means a big scandal's about to happen. So in October 1792, several months after Theodoric's death, Nancy, Richard, Judith, Richard's brother John, they are all traveling to another plantation, the Glentivar estate. Glentivar belongs to some other cousins, Mary and Randolph Harrison. And it was a teeny tiny little house by landed gentry standards, unfinished and wooden. Wow, embarrassing. And when they all arrived, Mary Harrison, the cousin that they were visiting, it seemed to her that Nancy seemed a bit ill. Nancy said that she had been suffering from a colic, which at the time was just a way to describe abdominal pains and cramping. She was like, don't worry about it, it's fine. But that first night that they are there, Mary Harrison, in the middle of the night, hears a scream. <coughs> She's like, what the heck is that? She assumes it's probably Judith because Judith is the hypochondriac. She's very dramatic. So Mary goes upstairs to where she's staying 
looks in the room, but Judith is just sitting there and looks fine. She's like, it wasn't me. Maybe it was Nancy. And then she says something very mysterious. She's like, hmm, I really doubt the colic would make her scream like that. Wow, what would? So then Mary goes to Nancy's room, knocks on the door, and the person who answers the knock is Richard, inside the room with Nancy. Also inside the room is one of the enslaved people, a girl. This was a lot going on, so Mary came into the room, but Nancy was like, please don't use your candle because I'm very sensitive to light right now. Suspicious. What's going on in the dark? Mary's in there for a while, but eventually she leaves to go look after one of her own kids. But then there are still a bunch of sounds throughout the night. Mary heard footsteps coming up and down the stairs, and they sounded heavy like a man, so she assumed it was Richard either fetching a doctor or their servants doing something. But anyway, you know, time for sleepy. The next morning, Nancy did not leave her room. But something that was even more sus was that when somebody went in to light the fire in the room, she was extremely pale. And then Mary found all these blood stains on the stairs, on the pillowcase, on the sheets. Mary said, it appeared as if an attempt had been made to wash them. Which shows on the historical record that rich people are bad at washing stuff, which is a problem because they are usually the ones with so much dirty laundry. Zing! But despite that, it seemed that everyone was behaving relatively normally. Nancy stayed sick in bed for a few days, and everyone else was just sitting around doing normal shit. No real tension between anyone. But then, Mary and Randolph Harrison started hearing some troubling stories from the enslaved people at Glentivar. What they were saying was that a baby, a white baby, had been carried out of the house in the dead of night into the yard and placed on a pile of shingles. Now here's some soothing ads. Okay, I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun, such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? 
Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. So Mary and Randolph Harrison are hearing some rumors from the enslaved people at Glentivar that some of them saw a dead white baby fetus on a pile of shingles on some remote part of the plantation. Randolph Harrison originally ignored any claims because one, it's rude to speak badly of the guests at your home, and two, he's a white Virginia planter and didn't want to believe the enslaved people. But he eventually went to the spot, and while he saw no dead baby, he did see a fading but obvious blood stain. Hmm. In the months that followed, there was a whole bunch of gossip. And the gossip compounded and compounded until it was a rat king of juicy news. The Randolphs, well, they were the overlords, and it seemed that the enslaved people at Glentivar were very pleased to spread some hot goss about them. The goss then spread out to the servants, who then spread to other servants on nearby estates. And soon the whole state of Virginia, the whole world, just kidding, were set ablaze with conjecture. And the goss that was coming out basically can be summarized like this. Nancy had sex with her brother-in-law, incest, and she had their baby, and then they murdered the baby. Thunderclap. Back at Bazaar, Judith, Richard, and Nancy tried to carry on as usual, just hanging around, hee-hee-ha-ha, ha, no infanticide here, ha-ha. But then as the goss got hotter and hotter, it became harder for them to be normal. A few months after the glint of our trip, Richard, Judith, and Nancy left Bazaar and went to visit Richard's stepdad, George Tucker, the judge and lawyer. Basically to be like, hey, a lot of people are gossiping about us. Is there anything we can do about it? Richard said specifically, my character has lately been the subject of much conversation, blackened at the imputation of crimes at which humanity revolts. Stepdad George Tucker told Richard that he should promote rather than stifle the gossip. Basically being like, let's get these rumors out in the open and discuss them in a legal setting, like a courtroom. Let's have like an inquiry. Richard was like, that's an interesting idea, but what if I just shoot somebody instead? But alas for Richard, no one accusing him of infanticide and incest were willing to accept his challenge of a duel. So he was like, damn, I guess I'll just go to the courthouse, get myself arrested, and then face a court examination on charges of murder. And the thing is, no one really knows who brought the charges of murder against him. It might have been that his own lawyers did it just so that he could stop the gossip. And technically, it wasn't a trial. It was an examination, an examination to see if there should be a trial. And wowie, this is going to be exciting. The examination was scheduled for April 29, 1793. And it was going to be a huge event. 
because it's the Randolphs. These are notable people. So Richard and Nancy arrive at the Cumberland Courthouse, facing the charges of feloniously murdering their illegitimate child. Already, Richard was at a big disadvantage with the public. Unlike Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson and these other guys who had been accused of affairs, Richard was lazy and had no accomplishments. No one really had a reason to be on his side. But to make him seem more sympathetic, he hired some very fancy lawyers for oodles of money. One of the lawyers was a young John Marshall. This is before he was on the Supreme Court. But at the time, he was super hot because he was really good at law, and also he had served as an officer in George Washington's army. So, woo, that's a good one. The other lawyer was living legend Patrick Henry. He was the one who said, give me liberty or give me death. And Richard was like, wow, now that I got these two dudes representing me, they're going to make me seem like I'm such an honorable guy. So let the games begin. The court starts calling witnesses. A lot of them are from the Randolph family. And one of the big arguments was whether or not Richard and Nancy were too friendly or just having a normal brother and sister-in-law relationship. As I said before, some people said that they were too fond of each other. And some people had even witnessed imprudent familiarities. Other people testified that they had seen Nancy and Richard kiss. Other people were like, no, 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 that's just like friend and family stuff. The other argument was that Nancy seemed like she looked prego. Some people were like, yeah, she was definitely trying to hide a pregnancy. And other people were like, nah, she wasn't, and that's rude to say. The most obnoxious witness was Mary Carey Page, Nancy's aunt, who seemed to really dislike her. She had this crazy confession where she had said that she had spied on Nancy and had overheard a conversation between Nancy and her maid. She was spying on her through a crack in the door, and when Nancy disrobed, Mary Carey said it was obvious that she was pregnant. But that's when old Patrick Henry piped up and said, hee hee, ha ha, did duty alone compel you to look through a crack in the door as she prepared to retire? Also, which eye did you peep with? And everyone laughed. They're like, ha ha ha, this woman is a gross fool spying on people disrobing. Patrick Henry quipped, Great God, deliver us from eavesdroppers. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson's daughter Patsy was called up. She was married to Nancy's brother, Thomas Mann Jr., and she was a good friend of Nancy's. And she had said that before Nancy and the rest of the party had gone to Glentivar, she had given Nancy a medicine for the colic that she was experiencing. And this was sus because the medication that she had talked about was a known abortive. But then some people were like, I mean, sometimes it's an abortive, but like sometimes it's not. I know a lady who took it and the baby was fine. And the issue with all of this is that Virginia law prohibited enslaved people from testifying. So no one who actually saw or claimed to have seen the baby could be called to the stand. And that's what Patrick Henry used mostly as his defense, that most of the rumors about the Randolphs came from the enslaved people both legitimizing their claim, but also ruling it out. And then Marshall, his defense was basically like, duh, Nancy and Richard have a close relationship. They live in the same house. He also said, Nancy was a needy and overindulgent person. She had been nursed in the lap of ease and indulgence. She had been accustomed only to wish and to find her wishes complied with. And then he was basically saying that Richard had stepped in as her father figure. 
recasting him as a protective patriarch. Wow, he is such a good person. At the end of the examination, Richard was acquitted. The Cumberland County Justice proclaimed Richard not guilty of the felony of which he stands charged. Or really, not guilty of the felony that he accused himself of so that people would stop gossiping. Unfortunately, when there's a good piece of gossip, you're not going to just let it die like that. People continued to chatter. George Tucker tried to write some articles in the newspapers, vouching for Richard. But people started seeing Richard as a vile seducer. And they saw Nancy, on the other hand, as his victim. After the examination, Judith, Richard, and Nancy returned to Bazaar. They just had to live with it. And then three years later, Richard died under very mysterious circumstances. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. In letters to her cousin, Mary Harrison... Judith was complaining about how she was so lonely and would never be happy again. I mean, same. But I would say Judith had a pretty good reason to be upset. It's 1796, and her husband, Richard, had just died under very mysterious circumstances. The mysterious circumstances were that he suddenly got really sick, 
had a high fever and became delirious, and then he died. I think I solved the mystery. He had a disease. After the untimely death, Nancy was still living at Bazaar. And once Richard was gone, Judith mega-hated Nancy, treating her like she was a servant and calling her the blaster to my happiness. I would say something redeeming about Richard is that before he died, he had drafted up a will that freed the 200 enslaved people at Bazaar. Uh, but of course, it was upon his death, not during his life, which is kind of like, well, maybe you should have done it while you were alive and then figured out how your wife would survive, you know, with money and stuff. Judith followed the will, made sure that happened. And so now they were really tight on cash. They're also tied on money because Richard's brother, John, had started using the Randolph estate money to get his political career going. Remember, John's the androgynous one who was unable to grow a beard and had a high voice, and everybody was like, he's for sure impotent. He had also allegedly been rejected by Nancy back when she had first come to Bazaar. And now, after his brother's death, John was super suspicious of Nancy. He had convinced himself that Nancy had killed his brother by poisoning him. <laughs> In 1805, nine years after Richard had died, John came home to Bazaar from Washington. And to Nancy, he was like, get out of my house, you wench. And then he called her a slut. He said she had been taking as many liberties at Bazaar as she would in a tavern. So for the second time in her life, Nancy is kicked out of her home. Nancy decides she'd go back off to Tuckahoe. And at this point, no one lives there. The building's falling apart. So the first night she's there, she made herself a pallet out of sticks. After that, she hopped from plantation to plantation, couch surfing, but like plantation surfing, I guess. Then when she's 31, she moves to Richmond and she lived in a small room in a house of a couple who ran a really trashy riverfront amusement park. And some people have suggested that at this point she might have supported herself with prostitution, but maybe not. Meanwhile, John has his political career, and he was still stewing with rage against Nancy. He would sit in, quote, savage solitude and just smoke a lot of opium and read poetry and then figure out ways to get back at Nancy. Nancy decided to move yet again. This time she moves to New York. And then finally strikes some good luck. In 1808, when she's living at a boarding house, there she got a visit from one of her daddy's family friends, none other than our star, Governor Morris. They correspond for a few months, and he eventually asks her to be his housekeeper at Morrisania. And then, as we know, in 1809, he and Nancy wed to the surprise of all the guests at their Christmas dinner. Governor and Nancy, they're living a good life together. They have a kid, Governor Jr. Everyone's happy. Except for Judith and John Randolph. The bizarre plantation is burned down. No one has any money. It was a real shit show for them. And John is continuing his crusade against Nancy. In 1814, 21 years after the whole scandal, John starts talking shit again. He's bringing up all the old rumors, saying that Nancy had a child in 1792, but that it was the child of Theodoric. John accused Nancy of being a ruinous slut who had seduced Theodoric when he was sick. And then he blamed Nancy for ruining Richard's reputation and that she was the one who killed the newborn infant. And then she made Richard deal with it. 
And then he was saying even crazier stuff. He made her seem like she was a seductress who would bang anyone, including an enslaved man, and even worse, an actor. <laughs> he criticized her marriage to Governor Morris and called her a vampire that, after sucking the best blood of my race, has split it off to the north and struck her fangs into an infirm old man. And so, of course, when Governor died in 1816, John said that Nancy had killed him because no one had witnessed his death. So John's saying all this shit, and unfortunately for Nancy, the rumor mill was swirling again. So she was in a tight spot and basically had to publicly address all of these claims. So what she did is she wrote an autobiography. In it, she talked about how her Randolph relations had abused her terribly. John, Richard, Judith, and even Theodoric, and even her dad. She said that her dad was the one who had kicked her out of her home in 1791 because he wanted her to marry this rich dude, but she wanted to marry for love. She also claimed that she was actually secretly engaged to Theodoric. And she admitted that, yeah, there had been a baby. And yes, it had been Theodoric's. But she didn't say anything about her pregnancy's outcome, never saying if the baby survived or died or was stillborn. Just a handy omission. On Richard, she seemed to admire him, but made him out to be really controlling. She said in a letter to stepdaddy George Tucker that Dick knew my every act and motive while he lived. But she also said that Richard had a weak side. She said that one time while she was staying at Bazaar, Dick entered my apartment one morning, threw himself on his knees, and complained about how horrible his marriage was. He also went on to say that he had entered the rooms of other ladies and that they had let him into their beds, so obviously she should let him into hers. In the autobiography, Nancy also just seems to really detest her sister. She felt bad for Richard, saying that he had married such a Debbie Downer and said, to Judy, I owe nothing but harsh, abusive language. And then she got to John. She was like, dude, why are you so obsessed with gossip? This was so long ago. Calm down. You're a fool. You're a scandal monger. She also went on to say, It is well that your former constituents should know the creature in whom they put their trust. Virginians in general, whatever may be their defects, have a high sense of honor. She also said about him that he had told everyone that he wanted to free his slaves. And his constituents didn't like this. Remember, it's Virginia. And he was like, no, I never said that. Nancy also criticized how feminine he looked. And back then, appearances and character meant a lot, unlike now where everything is fine. At the end, who won? Well, it seems that Nancy did. After Governor died in 1816, she got his money, fought off challenges to his will, and became the wealthiest of all her siblings. Hee <laughs> hee. She died in 1837 and had an overall good life, it seems. John, on the other hand, seemed to have his reputation tarnished. At some point, he was in a duel with Henry Clay, was cast out of the Senate, was briefly a minister to the court of the Russian Tsar, and then died in 1833. People really didn't seem to respect him. Uh, because the thing is, after he died, a doctor looked at his sex organs and was like, yep, confirm, he is impotent. Some people were like, uh, that's kind of rude that the doctor looked at his balls and then told everybody about it. Uh, but they were also like, tell me about his balls. In conclusion, this story clearly outlines an important theme. Don't marry your cousin. This is American Filth.
American Filth is a production of School of Humans and iHeart Podcast. This episode was written, sound designed, and hosted by me, Gabby Watts. Our theme song is by me and Jesse Nyswanger. Amelia Brock is our senior producer, and our executive producers are Virginia Prescott, Elsie Crowley, and Brandon Barr. Please like, review, subscribe, etc. to American Filth wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow along with the podcast on Instagram at American Filth Pod. Bye. Thank you. School of Humans. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.